The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an organization affiliated with the United Church of Christ. Hi, John. You know, when we conceived the Art of Aging podcast, we knew we wanted to explore ways that we can live full and happy lives in the community of our choice as we age. That's right, Beth. Today, we're gonna to look at how whole communities are working to adapt to a rapidly aging population. The World Health Organization and AARP in the U.S. have been leading an effort to improve our lives by identifying our needs in eight domain areas. We talked to Katie White, the director of Age Friendly Columbus. That organization is an excellent example of how this program can make a significant difference through collaboration between public and private organizations in a community. So let's hear the story of the Age Friendly Movement in Columbus, Ohio. It's a five-year process. The World Health Organization created this five-year framework and selected an affiliate in each country. So in the US, it's AARP. And you're given the framework to assess your community in your first year, plan for the challenges and solutions that came out of that assessment, and then in years three, four, and five, you're implementing your strategic plan. So each community can kind of do it in their own way, but follows that same framework as much as possible. What happens after five years? That's a great question. So we are actually um, kind of rounding out our fifth year right now. We'll be done at the end of 2020. And most communities sort of just re-enter the network because it's this thought of continual listening, planning, improving. Uh, so that's our plan too. So we will sort of close down our first phase of be being age-friendly Columbus and Franklin County. And then in 2021, our hope is to continue to reassess, replan, and implement again. What is meant by age-friendly? Age-friendly to us is an ongoing commitment from our community to listen to the challenges and ideas for solutions from individuals across the community and to bring together experts, funding, and policy changes that are needed to make those solutions happen. So you mentioned the eight domains. Each community can do their own little take on them. Our domains are outdoor spaces and buildings, transportation, housing, safety and emergency preparedness, social participation, respect and inclusion, employment and civic participation, communication and information, and community support and health services. It seems like eight domains for a place as big as Columbus is a huge task. I agree, eight domains is really all-encompassing. There's a woman out of Sarasota, Florida, Kathy Black, who runs the program, and she famously said, this work is a mile wide and a mile deep, and she's absolutely right. Uh, one thing that AARP is really clear about is if a community just wants to focus on one domain or two domains or all of them, it's really whatever that community wants to do. You don't have to make progress in each of the domains. What I'll say for a place like Columbus when we entered the network, because we are urban, um, because the project, we were lucky enough to be well-funded, and because we have such strong social services in town, it was important for us to be involved in the eight domains so that we could be really across all sectors as we started to build our reputation 
and sort of our branding in the community, it was important for us to be across all eight domains. Now, will that look the same in 2021 when we re-enter the network? I'm not sure. A number of the communities that enter the five-year cycle for the second time sort of hone in on a couple of key areas. So once we get our results from our survey back, we'll reevaluate and see if we need to be in all eight areas, um, and we'll kind of go from there. So you're associated with AARP. It's a program for people that are aging, but also others? So what we like to say is we're doing this work through the lens of the fact that the 65 plus population is going to double. And we think it's an opportunity for communities to kind of rethink their built social and service infrastructure. And so, yes, it's through the lens of older adults, but really any of the improvements and changes that we make are going to um, benefit individuals of all ages and abilities. Our last episode, we talked about the development of the Village to Village movement and how that is revolutionizing helping people remaining in their communities as they age. How are they connected to what you're doing? So the villages are a key component to any age-friendly community, in my opinion. And I think if you talk to a couple other of the directors of age-friendly communities across the U.S., they would fully support that too. So we love our villages. An age-friendly city or community really is this sort of policy and programmatic macro level of the work that villages are already doing in their neighborhoods. So this idea around villages being a place for reciprocity, where their members give and take from the system, the members guide what the village provides for them, it's the same concept for us. We're continually in the community listening to community members about their needs and ideas and making sure that our program reflects those. In central Ohio, um, particularly in Columbus, we do have five villages. One of our strategies was to actually increase the amount of villages that we have. And it's really because they are this deep and strong connection into our community older adults. So when we have focus groups, when we uh, find money for pilot programs, when we're looking for those voices and those ideas, we know that we can go to our strong partners in the villages. And um, we really work well together, hand in hand, thinking about programs and also um, soliciting funding and making sure that, you know, we're both involved in these important community-wide conversations. So you're working with the villages, and I know their goal is to spread citywide. How's that going? We love our villages, and the creation of the Greater Columbus Network of Villages last year um, that we did in collaboration with all the village directors, I think was really what was needed and able to take this intentional look to say, what is it that our villages are doing in town? How do they operate? And are we measuring that impact? So we want to make sure we can say a village works because X, Y, and Z. And once we figure that out, then we can really take this other approach of saying, here's how we know a village works. Here's how we know what a village does and why it works for older adults in your community. And this is why we think it should be expanding to other places. So it's um, a delicate balance of wanting to grow because we know it works, but not wanting to grow too fast because we want to make sure that the, all of the work that needs to be done is done so that it's successful. The villages thought that there should be funding from insurance companies or Medicare or whatever because they're saving them huge amounts of money by keeping people in their homes. Absolutely. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And 
in addition to insurance companies, there is a program that was launched recently in California with their villages where hospital systems that are discharging an older adult to a home that's within a village, the hospital will purchase a one-year village membership for that person. And then in collaboration with the village, the thought is making sure that those wraparound services exist, the transportation to the follow-up appointments, and making sure that individual isn't re-hospitalized. They're doing some really groundbreaking work out there. So I thought I'd just raise some of the strategies that have some interesting parts to them. The first one is to encourage Columbus businesses to meet an age-friendly business checklist. This idea of creating a checklist for age-friendly businesses actually came out of Colorado Springs, where they partnered with their Better Business Bureau and created this really great program. Cleveland replicated it, had really great um, success with it, and so we chose to do it here as well because we heard in our survey most older adults aren't sure if restaurants and businesses are accessible to them. So the checklist um, is pretty user-friendly. We did that intentionally so anybody could really pick it up and understand the idea of it and how it works. And we've had a couple of sort of larger scale age-friendly business community days. So you pick up this toolkit, it comes with a little tape measure and with some other tools. And essentially you're looking at things around, does the business have a step to get into it? Um, Are the doorways wide enough if you were in a wheelchair? Is there a bathroom that's accessible on the first floor? So making sure that um, they have the knowledge and information to know if I wanna go out to a new restaurant, can I actually get in? And once I'm there, am I going to be comfortable and can I access things? And so we are also working with the Better Business Bureau here. Once we have an evaluation of a business, we send it to the Better Business Bureau and then they put it on a map. So if you wanted to search um, a certain area, you could kind of zoom in and see which businesses are age friendly. And do businesses have an insignia or a logo? We did a co-branded logo uh, with Better Business Bureau and Age Friendly, and there's a decal that they are working on to go into the window of those businesses. I know the Pilot Gateway Film Center was the first age-friendly business. What does that entail? So the Gateway Film Center um, created this program called Age Friendly Afternoons and it was discounted rates for older adults to come in and there was free popcorn and they kind of shifted the environment a little bit to make sure that it was friendly to potential older adult challenges. So thinking about having some extra hands on deck with um, getting tickets and seating folks, they had the lights turned up a little bit and then they actually turned the noise down a little bit. So really thinking through that combination of the fact that it's accessible and it's in this intentional welcoming in of older adults as well as a discount. Everybody's happy with a discount, right? You're creating a checklist to evaluate public spaces? Yes. So the thought around specifically the outdoor spaces would be if we can secure funding to, um, you know, say put in a cross uh, curb cut or to think about the fact that there's no shade or benches in a park where a lot of older adults are. And we know from our survey those are Uh, things that individuals want to have in outdoor spaces. So um, we sort of operate in this space of gathering the information in need and then trying to link the partners and the funding. So if there's something that's identified that really needs an improvement, then absolutely we would try full force to figure out that solution. In the villages, they do a lot of driving. 
you have a new program that helps with that? Mm-hmm. Lifting Villages, yes. So underneath our transportation and mobility domain, we actually have um, a number of pilot programs that we launched last year, and we're really excited about them. So the Lifting Villages program is a collaboration between Age Friendly, the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging, and the Greater Columbus Network of Villages, and then, of course, Lyft. So essentially, we wrote the grant to the Area Agency on Aging, who wanted to test out whether or not Lyft or Uber um, is a good option for transportation for older adults. So the natural fit, as with many of our pilot programs, is with the villages. So that money's dispersed across the villages, and when they have a member that needs a ride somewhere, if they don't have a volunteer available, then they are able to use these free Lyft credits. And many uh, folks have never heard of it, but there's something called Lyft Concierge. So you don't have to have an app, you don't have to have a smartphone. That digital equity piece is sort of taken care of and the fact that the village director has access to Lyft Concierge where they schedule the ride. It looks a lot like the app where you can follow the car and make sure Mrs. Jones was picked up and then you follow the vehicle and it says Mrs. Jones was dropped off. Um, but it's free to the member and they don't have to have any of the technology. So um, Christine, as the network director, is compiling those results and we'll be analyzing them later in the year when the lift credits run out. That's very cool. We think so too. (laughs) Changing the crossing times at crosswalks? Yes. Okay, so this is another strategy where we put that in the first year thinking this is an easy win. We have a strong relationship with Columbus Department of Public Service. They've been so wonderful throughout this whole thing. Um, But we really haven't been able to gain traction on understanding which crosswalks we wanted to hone in on. But come all the way around to year three, and now we're looking at this sort of broader lens around the built environment and accessibility. And so hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be launching um, this broader perspective on looking at where are the bus stops, where are the sidewalk gaps, and where are the crosswalks and curb cuts in certain zones where we can look at those holistically to say, what do we need to update to make sure that individuals have accessible transportation? So in locations that have the updated crosswalk signal, you know, where you press the button, and then you wait for it. Some locations have the technological ability so that if you press the button twice, it would increase the timing. And the Department of Public Service has been really supportive about identifying locations and working together as long as it wouldn't mess up the traffic pattern um, to increase those crosswalk timers. We just haven't yet identified where. And is this where there's a high percentage of elderly people? Yes. So we have um, some really great data sources that tell us where the densest population of older adults live in Franklin County, as well as where the densest population of vulnerable older adults live in our community. Thinking about race, age, income, disabilities, things like that. So there's 12 pieces that create this vulnerability index. You're also helping people with home modifications as they grow older. Proactive home modifications comes from this lens of the fact that through our survey, we learned that over 90% of Columbus older adults said they want to remain in their homes as they age. But when we ask certain questions about preparing for those things, so um, retirement planning, knowing um, that you have a good social support network, thinking about home modifications, individuals weren't necessarily doing those 
proactive preparations that we know need to be done in order for them to be able to remain in their homes as they age or hopefully remain in their homes as they age. So our thought around this strategy was how do we motivate individuals to start thinking about home modifications before they're needed? So before the fall, what are you doing in your home to remove the throw rugs or uh, look at lighting? Or before the fall, you're installing the grab bars just in case. Right now, we just have this guide that one of our student interns put together around all of the resources available, different types of home modification to think about, who funds those, about how much they cost. Sometimes older people need to find roommates to help meet the costs. Do you have a strategy that can address that? Home sharing was an idea that came up in a lot of our focus groups. So Marisa Sheldon, who's the assistant director of Age Friendly, heard about this program called Nesterly that was being piloted in Boston. So a graduate student of MIT's Age Lab came up with this Um, way to analyze how many open or spare bedrooms are in older adults' homes, and the number is phenomenal. Um, I I can't remember Boston's number off the top of my head, but I think in central Ohio it's something like 27,000 spare bedrooms are open every night just in the homes of boomers. And so because we knew the, um, the idea was of interest of elders here and this innovative program was going on in Boston, Marisa actually reached out to their CEO and had this incredible conversation and they said, you know, we have been wanting to pilot it in another community and it just hasn't been the right fit, but we think this might be the right fit. So therein was born this idea of Nesterly um, Central Ohio or Nesterly Columbus. So again, working with the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging as well as some other sort of housing partners in the community. Um, We launched Nesterly uh, last year. And so it's this online platform. We kind of joke where it's a little bit like Airbnb and it's a little bit like a dating app, right? So you're connecting individuals through similar interests that they fill out ahead of time. So the older adult can list their home. They put up pictures and they say, you know, um, it's $500 a month or $400 a month if you mow the grass in the summer and shovel the walk in the winter. Um, I want someone who's quiet, who, you know, likes this, wants to interact, but, you know, yada, yada. And then on the intergenerational younger student or student side, they fill out the application and say, you know, I'm looking for this. These are my interests. These are my needs. And so there's this pairing that happens um, through a secure network. And then there are plenty of background checks on both sides. A staff member was actually hired on at COAAA to go out and check the homes and photograph the homes and just make sure we aren't sending folks into an unsafe space. It's been this really great tool and it's gonna take a little while to really um, launch and have tons of matches, but we see it as a really great way to not only Uh, provide affordable housing for younger generations, particularly as college is so expensive now, Um, but it's an opportunity for older adults to gain a little income if they need it. And then there's this beautiful intergenerational relationship that comes out of it as well. What are some of the things that you're most proud of? So I mentioned earlier about our strategy on transportation and mobility and how we launched a number of projects. And in addition to lifting villages, We also launched free neighborhood circulators. 
So older adults said they liked the idea of having a circulator just in their neighborhood. And so we went out and had focus groups. We had the residents pick where they wanted the stops to be. And then we collaborated with Clintonville Community Resources Center, who has a fleet of vehicles and helps secure federal funding through the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission to fund these free senior circulators. You're talking about a bus. Yes, a bus, yes. So once a week, this bus runs in the hilltop and in the Beachwald area to these different stops where their older members of the community selected them to go. And then another strategy around transportation is this age-friendly CODA concept or age-friendly transit. So looking at how, as a transit authority, um, we can help encourage more older adults to ride the bus. When we look at our data, we see that less than 5% of individuals that are 65 and older are riding the CODA bus, or at least identify it as one of their transportation modes. And so we think with a few tweaks of the system um, and tweaks that older adults are telling us would work, that we can really increase the number of older adults riding the bus. So we're looking at things like bus shelters and benches, printing the brochures in larger print, translating the brochures. We have a huge older immigrant and refugee population that we've done a lot of focus groups with. And then thinking about the fact that just because you build it doesn't necessarily mean they'll come. And so we're pairing that with travel training. So working with the Ohio Department of Transportation to fund a new travel trainer at CODA who will go out and specifically train older adult ambassadors in certain neighborhoods, and those older adults will train other older adults. So sort of that peer-to-peer approach. And then finally, under mobility, the project called Safe Routes to Age in Place. So another project funded by the Ohio Department of Transportation and in collaboration with the University of Texas, Arlington, we deployed tablets and this software app called MyAmble to 30 individuals in Prairie Township for sort of a rural look, in Westerville for suburban, and then in the Near East Side for urban. And what these older adults did is for 14 days tracked their travel patterns, where they went, how they got there, where they weren't able to go, and why not, and then sort of pairing all of that to say at the end of the day they would fill out how they felt if they could or couldn't get to where they needed to go. So essentially as we look across these different modes of bus or walking or biking or lift or circulators, we are going to be taking a holistic approach research-wise to ask the same questions across all of these different modes to understand what modes are working or not working and then hopefully influence how funding comes in to fund those modes. And finally, I'd love to chat a little bit about the Positive Aging Campaign. So we received funding from the Columbus Foundation to launch our Positive Aging Campaign, which came, again, straight from the mouths of older adults in the community. We learned that we know we have a huge problem with ageism, and so to combat ageism, why not run a Positive Aging Campaign? So in March, um, officially starting March 6th, you will start to see billboards and bus shelters and buses and advertisements around town that feature happy, exciting, smiling faces of local older adults through our photo shoots that we've had, as well as some um, positive slogans and phrasing around aging. So we're really excited to launch that. Aging is cool. Everybody's doing it. Exactly. Trademark Christine Happel. That was her phrase. The genius that she is. That is going to be one of our phrases on billboards. 
I'm so excited. (laughs) What would you say to somebody in another city who wants to start their own age-friendly community? How, How would they get started? If you live in a community that's not in the network and you're interested, and we get calls from folks all the time, we're happy to mentor. The first place to go is AARP Livable Communities website. There is a plethora of information and fact sheets and videos, and there's something called the Livability Index where you can put in your zip code. It will give you some idea of how quote-unquote age-friendly or livable your community is. So that's the best first place to start. It will also have a list of all the communities in the network, so you can kind of click through and see what other communities are doing. And then if you're really serious about getting in your community into the network, um, there's sort of some steps that have to fall into place. So you do apply to the World Health Organization and the AARP International Network of Age-Friendly Communities. And in that application, you have to show that you have a groundswell of support from your community and a number of other aging facts and information that you'll have to discover about your community. And then you have to have a signed resolution from an elected official in your community actually sign you into the network. And then once you enter the network, again, there are lots of tools and tips and other communities around that are willing to mentor to show you, here's how you hold focus groups, here's how you should engage older adults, here's examples of surveys that are used. So along each step of this five-year process, um, there are not only tools and resources, but individuals leading this work from across the country that are happy to help. If you want to find out more about our work, you can go to agefriendlycolumbus.org. And if you are on social media, we are agefriendlyoh on Twitter and Facebook. John, our producer, Eric Johnson, tracked down Katie via Zoom to see how Age Friendly Columbus is coping with the COVID virus. Ironically, this was our year for our emergency preparedness planning. So we were like a day late and a dollar short on that, right? But we were able to kind of pull together the partners we had already been um, working with to say, okay, well, the emergency hit early. We don't have our plan in place, but what should we do and how should we do it? Um, So a great example of that is reaching out to the Red Cross of Central Ohio and um, getting a feel for... um, you know, the, we kind of sussed out and um, tested our ideas to say, is this going to make sense within the network that you know of? So yeah, we are definitely working in our um, safety and emergency preparedness domain quite a bit, as well as our social connections um, and respect and inclusion through the friendly phone line, as well as the necessity bags. Do you think there are going to be long-term impacts from this experience on age-friendly Columbus? It's been eight weeks since we've at a focus group or, you know, sat face to face and, and talked to some of our elders in the community. So I'm hoping that it isn't too long before we're able to pick back up in our normal way. But we've also reached the point where we're starting to sit down and think about if these restrictions continue, um, what does it look like and how do we do what we do in a new world where we're not face to face? In our next episode, we'll be looking at several examples of how intergenerational relationships can improve our lives. We look forward to you joining us. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.